Well, what is up, Next Level Woo! Church? So glad that you are here today. And so Matt and Sarah Keller, lead pastors <laughs> of Next Level Church, and we are on week three of our six-week sabbatical. And we had an incredible time at Hillsong <laughs> Conference. We cannot wait to share with you all that God imparted into us yeah. while we were down under in <laughs> Australia. Now, we know that this weekend is Serve Day, and there were hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of you who were out in our community serving yeah. with the love of Jesus, making such yeah. an incredible impact. Yeah. And we're so thankful. Probably sweating, uh, probably yeah. handing out shoes, but all for God's glory That's and right. just really leading people to Jesus. So thank you, awesome. thank you, thank so you for serving. Awesome. Well, this is week three of our This Is My Story series that we're in. And this weekend, we have Pastor Charles Ross. Charles is actually our Bonita Springs campus pastor, and he's been a part of Next Level Church for 10 years and on our staff for the last two and a half. Uh, Charles is so passionate about his oh, family. Yeah. He has a beautiful wife and an amazing baby girl, and he just loves actually to fish. Loves fishing. <laughs> Couple like of him. fun facts about Pastor Charles. He actually ran track and field in college, nice. and he has worked with brain surgeons. Now that is impressive. So come on, everybody, lean in and enjoy part three of This Is My Story. Well, hey, come on, next level. Come on, I am so, so excited to be here with you all this weekend. Hey, before we get started, I just want to send a special welcome out to the mighty Fort Myers location. Come on, Fort Myers, uh, to our Gateway location, and of course, to Benita Springs. You guys have my heart. I love you, Benita Springs. I'm so excited to be with you all day on Sunday. Well, hey, this has been a fun ex experience, right? This, this series, This Is My Story. This has been a fun, fun series. I, I just love hearing all of the different stories of some of our pastors. And, and I'm so honored. And I just want to honor uh, our lead pastors, Pastors Matt and Sarah Keller, for trusting us uh, and loving us so much, for trusting us with the word while they are away. Well, hey, I, I love this series because I love stories. And if you know anything about my wife, Stacy, you know that she has a lot of good stories. But here's the problem. Every single one of my wife's stories ends with me not really looking like the manly hero that I feel like I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, so let me, let me just give you this one story. So we have a house on a preserve and there are a lot of things that kind of come out of that preserve here and there. And, and we have a dog, and one day our dog was just going crazy. He was going nuts, and he was sniffing all around my wife's car, and I couldn't figure out what in the world it was. So being the manly man that I am, I walked up to the car, I opened up the hood, and there, lying asleep, was a full-grown possum. Now, evidently, when I opened up the hood, I kind of woke it up a little bit, and it kind of, it came up, and it kind of looked me... It gave me a once-over, looked me up and down, and then it went back to sleep. It, it was almost as though he was saying, hey, look, I, I know that you're not man enough to get me out, so let's not fool one another. I'm going to finish my nap, you know? And, and so I did what any man would do. I went inside, I grabbed my phone, and I text my neighbor. It's a possum, people, right? Like, you don't, you don't go at that thing by yourself. So I text my neighbor, and my neighbor, Corey, he is always down for a good time. So I, I don't know if you've ever texted a neighbor about an animal in your car. It's kind of an awkward text. So I was like, okay, so, hey, hey Corey, um, have you ever had an animal in your car? 
And Corey was like, hey, man, let's get that sucker. And I was like, yeah, come on, let's get that sucker. So all of a sudden I felt confidence rising up in me. And we, we met in the driveway, we high-fived, and he was like, all right, Charles, what have you got? Like, what do you mean, what do I have? Like, I don't have any weapons or anything. I fish. Like, I have fishing rods. I don't, I don't think we can use that for the possum. He's like, hey, man, you got to get something. So I went and I got the only thing that I had, a garden hose. And it had a nozzle on it and some gloves. And that's all I had. And so here was the plan. We, he was going to open up the hood, and I was going to spray that sucker until he got out of there. So here's what happened. He opens up the hood. But here's the problem. This time, the possum was fully awake, fully erect, standing up and staring me down. I freaked. I froze. I didn't know what to do. So I dropped the hose, and all of a sudden now, I've got a possum two feet away from me staring me down. The nozzle struck, and all of a sudden, we've got water shooting at us from behind. And I had no idea what was going on. So I jumped, and I screamed like a little school child. And that was the end of the story. Right, it's not really a good ending. I know. The possum ended up leaving, but it was really like he just got bored, so he just left the car. And like I said, I, I kind of wish that story ended a little bit differently. But what about us? What about us this weekend? Have you ever, have you ever wished that you had a different story? Have you ever looked over your life and wished maybe that you had a different life story? I know for me, my life story started out great. I, I grew up in Miami, Florida and had two parents that were amazing, both in the medical field and and I knew that that was just going to be my destiny. I was going to be in the medical field. And, and eventually I did. I, I got into pharmaceutical sales and, and sales leadership. And that led to a career in medical devices. And I, and I had this amazing, thriving career working for the largest medical device company in the world. Then I moved to Fort Myers and met a beautiful woman. And, and we got married. And life was amazing all until my world completely stopped. On July 27th, 2014, as I was driving on Alligator Alley, heading to the airport the next morning for a flight, I got into an accident, and there was a fatality. And all of a sudden, my world just stopped. I can't describe for you the amount of fear that I had, the amount of guilt that I carried, and the amount of shame that I had. I had so much trauma that I was dealing with and so much guilt, and all I could do for six months was cry out to God, God, why is this in my story? I just wanted a different story. And I remember sitting in a hotel room one night, and God took me to Psalm 23. And it's important for, for me to give you a little bit of context about Psalm 23. See, Psalm 23 was written by a warrior king named David. And David had a lot of issues in his life, and so I kind of felt like I could relate to David. See, David was anointed as a king as a child. And he didn't immediately become a king after his anointing because he had a job, and his job was to be a shepherd of this flock of sheep that his family owned. And on the side, he had this other job. He had to run food to his brothers who were soldiers on the battlefield. 
And one day when he ran food to his brothers, he, he got into this thing where he ended up slaying this giant enemy soldier called Goliath. And when he slayed Goliath, all of a sudden he was thrust into the limelight only to win the unwelcomed attention of his future father-in-law, who was the king, King Saul. And King Saul had this unhealthy obsession with David, so much so that he would draw David in close, and then he would try to throw spears at him. Eventually, he chased him down in caves, trying to take his life. It's important context for Psalm 23. So David writes in Psalm 23 in the first verse, he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What? What are you talking about, David? I know your story, man. You have a crazy story like mine. What do you mean you lack nothing? I started to argue with God. God, I feel like I'm lacking a lot in my life right now. What about me? What about me, God? I'm lacking a different story. And I felt like God answered my questions to him with a question. He said, Charles, if you're lacking right now, then who's your shepherd? If you're lacking right now, then who's guiding you? Who's leading you? And in the rawest moment that I could, I journaled my answer. Me. I'm shepherding me. My desires. My desire, God, for a different story. That's, that's my shepherd right now. Well, I eventually got led to, to James chapter 4, and James is specifically addressing a group of people who were allowing their desires to shepherd them. And this is what James says to them. He says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Then he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James is saying, hey, you have to submit yourselves. You have to submit. Well, as I looked into what this word submit meant, it, meant, it means to subject yourself to another's control. It means to yield to another. It means to surrender. I had to ask myself, have I truly surrendered to the Lord as my shepherd? As I started to look deeper into Psalm 23, I started to notice David's heart of surrender for the Lord. And in fact, I, I noticed four areas that David surrendered to the Lord. And what happened was David surrendered, and then God wrote a new story for David. So I decided, hey, uh, there's something to this, and I want to share these four areas with you today. The first is, number one, we need to surrender control to God. Hey, listen, I, I want to I backtrack a little bit in my story. See, I remember at the age of 19, I remember... I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and I was sitting in the back left-hand side of this church, and 19 years old, young, full head of hair. <laughs> and I remember hearing this still, small voice of the Lord calling me into ministry. And I remember I was so excited. I ran, and I, I told the pastor after church, and, and, and he promised that he was going to help me. And then, and then all of a sudden, everything kind of changed he started to get really manipulative and controlling. And then he started to teach me this whole theology of legalism that I had to perform for God and I had to perform for him. I was so hurt that the first career opportunity that came up, I just grabbed it and I ran. 
And my career in pharmaceuticals took me out of the city, out of the state, and I left the church, my calling, and eventually God. See, that, that taking the job was my attempt to take control of my life. And I, when I took control of my life, it led to a life of sin and a life of emptiness. My career flourished and my soul declined. See, many of us, when faced with difficult situations, we don't want to surrender control. It's like when our life is spinning out of control, all we want to do is just grab the wheel and say, God, I've got this. I don't need you. I'm good. I've got this. But if we're honest, many of us don't really want a shepherd, do we? For me, I I wanted a part-time shepherd. I I wanted a shepherd that was on call, a shepherd when I needed him. I wanted a shepherd of this area of my life, but I didn't want a shepherd of that area of my life. And if many of us are honest, we're the same way. But David said, the Lord is my shepherd. So I looked deeper. I noticed that the word Lord was in all caps. And I realized that the word Lord isn't always the same in the Bible. And and in fact, in the Old Testament in Hebrew, this word Lord in all caps, it means Yahweh. It is the name of the one true God. This Lord in all caps means that the individual who calls on that name of the Lord, it implies a relationship. It's used in conjunction with other descriptive words like, the Lord is my provider. The Lord is my protector. The Lord is my creator. The Lord is my shepherd. David was calling on a Lord that was a friend. David was calling on a Lord that he had a relationship with. David said, the Lord is my. Well, my in the Hebrew means my, which is good. (laughs) But listen, David could have said the Lord is a shepherd. Notice he said the Lord is my shepherd. That means the Lord is uniquely shepherding me in a way that's a little bit different from you. That means the Lord shepherds me in a way where maybe he gives you a win in this season, but he gives me a loss because he knows exactly how to shepherd me. Then it says the Lord is my shepherd. And I, like probably many of you, assume that this word shepherd is a noun. But in the Hebrew, this word shepherd is a verb. That means our God is an active shepherd. He is actively guiding us. He's actively protecting us. He's actively watching over us as a shepherd. And then I looked at the promise. I lack nothing. Well, that's not talking about lacking money or lacking a boat or lacking something. I lack nothing actually means that you do not lack anything that would cause failure. So let me translate this first verse for us. What David was saying is the Lord, my friend, actively guides, protects, and provides for me. With him, my life will not fail. When I learned to surrender control to God, listen, he used all the situations that I was in where I couldn't control things. He used it to teach me how to trust him. I saw God working in my story. I used to be ashamed that I ran from my calling. But what I realized was that God used that situation to give me experiences and relationships that I would have never had if I had stayed. God was working in my story. I found peace that wasn't circumstantial. And what about us? What areas of of your life are you 
trying to take control from God. Come on, parents. Are you trying to control the outcomes of your children? This is what surrender means. Surrendering control means surrendering my desires, my thinking, my priorities, and timing. And, of course, the results. Surrendering control means surrendering all of that to God. Surrendering control is usually associated with defeat. But God wants to offer us victory. Here's his promise. He wants to offer us victory if we're willing to surrender. Let's continue in Psalm 23 as David continues to write. This is the same David who hid in caves for his life. He goes on to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This leads to the second thing that we have to surrender. We need to surrender our burdens to God. Listen, David was a man with burdens, but David surrendered his burdens to God. This is hard though, isn't it? If you're a sheep in the wilderness, I get why the shepherd would have to make you lie down. There's a lot of things out there in the wilderness that would love to have a sheep dinner. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm a sheep in the wilderness, the last thing I want to do is lie down. I'm looking around. I'm trying to run and protect my own life. But it takes trust in the shepherd to lie down. When I was in the midst of mourning and dealing with the guilt and the trauma from the accident, I remember how I didn't want to lie down. The last thing I wanted to do was lie down. I I was afraid to stop because if I stopped, I was afraid of all of the pain that I would experience. And thinking about the pain was unbearable. When we deal with pain, we often either want to fix the pain or we want to suppress it. And when you're taught like I was, that you have to perform for God, then we tend to carry a lot of guilt. And so if I was in a bad situation like the one that I was, and I was taught to perform for God, I I thought that all of the solution to the issue was all on me. And can I tell you, this is exactly what the enemy would have us think. This is what the enemy would have us believe, that every situation that you're in, that it's all on you. This is what the enemy says. The enemy says we have to work out our own issues before we come to God. But let me tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Catch that. Jesus is calling the weary and the burdened. Jesus didn't say, hey, come to me after you've figured out all of your stuff, after you've not sinned for a week. Come to me after you've figured out all of the hurt and all of the pain. Come to me when you're perfect. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, hey, have you sinned this week? Are you hurting this week? Are you full of shame? Are you full of guilt? Are you tired of running? Hey, You are the ones that I'm calling. Jesus is calling the weary and the burdened. Jesus was calling me. And then he says, and I will give you rest. Jesus goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is calling the burdened. See, the truth is, is that I found myself in a guilt-filled situation that I could not perform my way out of. 
the only thing that I could do was stop and surrender my burdens to God. When I surrendered my burdens to God, I surrendered my hurt. And when I surrendered my hurt, I found freedom through forgiveness. When I surrendered my guilt and shame to the Lord, the, what, I, what I received was grace and love. When I surrendered my labor to God, he gave me rest. I learned to worship through the pain. I learned to pray through the guilt. And God, I believe, is calling many of us that are here today to a season of rest. But we're not willing to rest. We want to try to keep working our burdens off or suppressing them. Listen, he wants to refresh you in this season. So what about us? Are you able to rest in your current season? I know you may be going through something. How about you, businessman? You've got issues at work and you're trying to figure everything out. Are you able to find rest for your soul? Have you surrendered it to the Lord? Or do you think you've got to try to figure it out yourself? Come on, married couples. You've got issues at home. You're trying to hide them. You're trying to act like they're not there. Are you willing to surrender that burden to the Lord? David continues. He continues in verse 3, and he says, He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Point number three, David surrendered his path. We need to surrender our paths to God. Notice that David qualified this path. Notice that he said the right paths he's guided down. See, after the accident, I, I remember God started to work everything out. I remember that I was really concerned about losing my job, and, and, I, and he worked it out where I was able to keep my job. And then I was concerned about my license, and he, he worked it out where I was able to keep my license. But I still had this unrelenting stress and this stress was affecting everything in my life. It was affecting my marriage. It was affecting my personal life. It was affecting my work life. I couldn't figure out what the stress was from. And I realized what it was. It was the unresolved legal debt. See, I had put the path of work on my shoulders. I figured, hey, I've got this figured out. I'm going to work this thing out myself. I make a lot of money. Here's what I'll do. I'm just going to work the pain off. I'm going to work and work and work. And then I'm going to work and earn enough money so that I can pay off the debt. And I can be the hero. Because see, in our stories, we like to be the hero for our name's sake. But David said that God shepherds him in such a way that he walks through the right paths for his name's sake. See, what I had done was I had made money an idol. And the very threat of losing that much money stressed me out. Even though I still had my life, I still had my marriage, I still had my job, I had made money an idol. And I remember the first time that God challenged my wife and I with a different path, a different solution. And that path was to tithe. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have gotten a, a threat to your job and a threat to your ability to drive, and then you've got all this unresolved legal debt, the last thing that I wanted to do was give away more money. 
The only thing that I could think of was hiding money and keeping money and hoarding money and making money. Money was an idol. I remember the day that my wife and I finally crossed the line. It was one night. We typed it out, and we hit the send button. And I remember, after almost a year of counseling and praying and begging God to take the stress and pain away, one stroke of a key where we released money back to the church, released my stress like nothing had ever done. I remember that God in an instant broke me of the idol of money. I didn't have to worry about it anymore. I released it back to God. We made over a quarter million dollars a year. It was a large check. It didn't make sense, but it was the only path that led me to peace. See, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it says, In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Notice that David said paths, plural. There are many different paths of our lives. So what about us? Are you willing to submit all of your paths to God? Are you willing to surrender them? Or are you, do you just want God to work in your marriage path, but not your financial path? Some of us want God to work in our work path, but not our relationships path. Listen, God wants us to surrender all of our paths to God. And here's the promise. God wants to offer us a better path if we're willing to surrender. David continued, in Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then he says something really interesting. He says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It leads me to the fourth thing that David surrendered. We need to surrender our personal pursuit of comfort. We need to surrender our pursuit of of comfort. Here's another interesting word that David used. Walk. David said, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now listen, I'm from Miami, Florida. We don't have valleys. We don't have mountains. Therefore, we don't have valleys. We do have alleys. <laughs> and here's the one thing uh, I can tell you in Miami. If there's a dark alley, the last thing you want to do is walk through it. You might want to run through it. You might want to go find a lighted alley. But the last thing that you want to do is walk through it. But listen, David said, I walk confidently through the darkest valley. He walks confidently. Why? Because you, God, are with me. And then he says something interesting. He says, it's your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Listen, David was hunted down in caves. David had his life threatened over and over again, but David refused to pursue comfort. He pursued God, even in the dark valley, and he allowed God to bring him comfort. See, many of us, we want to pursue comfort. When a challenge comes our way, we want to run. I know for me, I can remember one Sunday, this time as a 39-year-old man, 
sitting in the front left side of an auditorium of a different church. And I can remember hearing a still, small voice of the Lord calling me back into ministry. Well, as I mentioned before, we were making a lot of money and we had a lot of unrealized legal debt and other debts that we had to deal with. The last thing that that we could have figured was that we would give up that salary for a fraction of a salary, come into ministry. After almost a 20-year career working for very large companies, God was calling me into an uncomfortable calling. But listen, we figured, hey, this is the same God that we surrendered control to, and he gave us victory after victory after victory. And then we surrendered our burdens to God, and he gave us this peace that didn't even make sense. And then we surrendered our path to this God, and he showed us a new path that brought him glory and brought us peace that wasn't circumstantial. So you know what we did? We said yes. We said, yes, God, if you're in this and and the numbers didn't make sense and we couldn't figure it all out, but we said yes to ministry. And can I just tell you, God has worked miracles since we've been in ministry. He's shown us miracles. He's he's shown us how individuals who've had issues with with fertility, we've seen them have babies and we've we've seen people baptized and, and their lives changed. We've seen all different kinds of things happen since we've been in ministry. It was an uncomfortable calling. There was one thing that was still on our hearts and still on our minds and that was the fact that after years of trying, We hadn't yet had a child. And we were so concerned that this move and this this move to accepting a different salary and, and changing my career at the age of 40, we were concerned, see, because we thought, we thought, hey, maybe we'd have to pay a high price for fertility solution. But God called us not to pursue comfort. He called us to walk with him, even through the darkest valley. David continues in Psalm 23, and as he, he ends, he ends with, with some interesting points. David says in Psalm 23, verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Listen, God is not calling us to pursue comfort. He's calling us to pursue him. David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we surrendered our lives to God, when we surrendered our control and our paths and and our comfort to God. We started to see God move favor into our lives in ways that that are hard to even explain. You see, we we were willing to give up our home. We were willing to give up having a child just to surrender it all and pursue God. We were willing to move and and maybe go into a smaller home and, and figure things out financially. But, but you know, God, 
worked it out so that not only could we stay in our home, but we were able to stay in our home and pay a lower rate than we could ever even imagine. After two and a half years of unrealized dreams of having a child, after three fertility tests that I took by a very well-known doctor that all said, Charles, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to give your wife a child naturally. After three failed attempts, God prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. See, God sent a prophetic word through our pastor. And across the table at dinner one night, Matt looked at us and said, I don't know what it is, but I feel like God is telling me that you guys are going to be pregnant and we're going to be celebrating by December. We looked at him like he was crazy. And we tried. It was July. And, and every single month we tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And then I remember December 9th, my wife rolled over in bed. And she said, Charles, I, I want to try just one more time. I want to take the test one more time. And at 7 in the morning, she took a pregnancy test. And we were pregnant. God worked it out. He worked it out that he would prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Our cup was overflowing because we surrendered to the shepherd. What about us? What about us? Our baby is about to turn one in the next few weeks. And we couldn't be more happy about God's blessing because of our choice to surrender. What about us? All he wants to do is give you victory. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you a better path. And he wants to give you comfort if you'll just not pursue comfort but if you'll pursue and surrender to him. See, we have an example of surrender. And that example is Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we have this example in Jesus. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. Some versions say the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy... The joy is you. The joy is me. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He surrendered his life. Jesus said, hey, no one takes my life. I lay down my life. I surrender my life for the joy. I surrender my life for my children. I surrender my life for the sheep. Scorning the shame. And because of that, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, praying for you and praying for me. Surrendering isn't about subjecting ourselves to punishment. Surrendering isn't about subjecting ourselves to shame. Jesus took all of the punishment and all of the shame, and he nailed it to the cross for you and for me. That's what Jesus did. 
Surrender isn't about accepting defeat. Surrender is about involving ourselves and identifying ourselves in the death of Jesus and therefore identifying ourselves in his victorious resurrection. That's what surrendering means. And it's just a choice. It's a choice for you and I to surrender our lives to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I can't help but to think that this last verse that David wrote was for us. He said, surely your goodness and love will follow me, will chase me all the days of my life. And David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can't help but to think that everything that I just said for the last few moments means nothing if we don't say yes to a relationship with Jesus. If we don't say yes to surrendering our lives to Jesus. Surrendering our lives to Jesus is as simple as one prayer. One prayer that acknowledges that Jesus came to the earth that he was more than just a man, that he was God, and that he came for you and I. It's acknowledging that, that you and I have made mistakes in our lives, that we've sinned, and that we're in need of a shepherd. We're in need of a savior, someone who can shepherd us to a better life here on earth, someone who can shepherd us to eternal life in heaven forever. And I just believe right now in my heart that many of us here tonight are just one prayer away in your seat, one private prayer away from a life of victory here on earth and in eternity. All you have to do is say yes. So if that's you, if you would allow me the honor of praying with you while you're in your seat, a prayer of salvation, you're saying yes to a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. You're saying yes to surrendering your life to Jesus. You're saying yes to victory in your life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three, and I'm gonna pray with you right there in your seat. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you want a relationship with Jesus. I wanna pray with you right now, right where you are. I wanna pray with you. Keep your hands up. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, I'm gonna pray for you right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, for those individuals who have their hands raised right now. God, we say yes to a relationship with you. We say yes to Jesus. We say yes, accepting Jesus, your sacrifice of your life so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we could be presented back to you, God, perfect and clean. We say yes to a relationship with you. And we thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to surrender our lives to you. And as we continue to pray, God, I just pray over everyone here today 
I just pray, Lord, that you would allow us to surrender everything in our lives back to you. And God, that you would point out an area of our lives that we have not yet submitted over to you. And God, that you would show us a new path, that you would show us peace. And Lord, that you would show us your way of comfort. We thank you, God, and we praise you for it. In your mighty name, we pray. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen.